it's starting. Okay. Is this recording? I suggest you download it to computer because I think you're doing editing. Um, download it to your computer because it, the Skype deletes the recording after 30 days, which caused some considerate problems for Janine and I. So All right. Been, and saved the recording on her computer. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I'll get started. I, uh, I I do the obligatory statements here. Uh, so this is the economics podcast with me, your host Ashish. I have invited someone to try and fix my terrible monologues, and we're going to try out a new format in the form of a question and answer kind of thing. Uh, and our newest member, uh, well, there can only be one new member because there's two people. Is uh, is Riley? Uh, I don't even want to try the last name, but Riley. Um, if you, you want to uh, introduce yourself, why don't you go ahead? Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Okay. Um, I'm Riley. It's good to be here, everybody. I'm, I'm excited to be doing this. I do like economics. I'm not quite sure how much of a bio you want to hear about me, but yes, I'm here to ask Ashish questions about the topics we're talking about. So I'm super excited and happy to get started. Yeah, just as an obligatory notice, I would like to state that the opinions expressed on this podcast are not indicative of the views um, expressed by any institutions that this media is distributed in, whether it be schools, companies. I doubt it ever gets to companies, but whatever. Um, but regardless, the opinions being expressed here are, I guess in this case, my own, could be your own too, if you want to chime in. But uh, just to be clear, um, we are the ones responsible for the opinions expressed on this outlet. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I don't think this has anything to do with financial advice, so we don't have to put any obligatory statements out there. Um, Today's topic of discussion is going to be climate change and sort of the, the economics of it all um, and where both sides come from, where I come from on it. And uh, I, I hope you guys, I mean, again, this is one of those, you know, just me ranting about stuff, but I hope you guys can learn something from it, maybe about a different perspective than one that you didn't have before and, and maybe, you know, just just develop that understanding that there is there is more than one logical perspective, I guess. Um, yeah, Riley, if you want to take it away. Awesome. Yeah, so that sounds perfect. Um, so I don't know if you'd like to start talking and then I can start asking you questions, but I suppose the main question, the way we can get the ball rolling is, what is climate change and how is it related to economics? All right, so again, I'm not a, I'm not a big uh, science person. If I were, I would be hosting a science podcast. Uh, but so as far as my, my basic level understanding is, is climate change is sort of the, the heating up of the earth as a result of like um, carbon dioxide being like 
put in the air. Again, this is very basic and not, again, no one should be playing this at MIT science lectures, okay? But I, I think that that is the sort of premise of it and that the result of that is massive property damage, uh, flooding, um, a lot of, a lot of, external complications and eventually in some sort of doomsday apocalyptic work worst case the the entire earth is uninhabitable to human beings at some point in the future and it's a mass extinction apparently yeah okay that's definitely helpful um, for a broad sort of base. So how specifically is this related to economics um, in this context? So uh, I, I want to say that like climate change is very contentious in our political discourse. And the issue is a question of uh, like life and death for a lot of people, as, as we talked about earlier. Now, how it relates to economics is that the way that Thing, the way that carbon um, is sort of released into the atmosphere is via or as a result of like economic activity, right? So if a manufacturer decides to make a new product or something or, or a, a car that is already manufactured drives on the road, right, um, that is powered by, I don't know, gas or, or, or some non-renewable energy source, then the sort of result of that kind of economic productivity leads to um, the increased carbon, in the, the influx of carbon in the atmosphere. And, and so I think that the, the relation is that economic productivity in some sense w leads to, at least as of now in the United States, and other countries as well, I would like to say, um, leads to that influx of carbon dioxide, which, which produces the effect of the globe warming. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, I mean, my, I guess my question is, everything is as a result of economic action, anything bad is generally made by economic action. So what sort of regulations would you propose are good for the economy as well as good for climate change? Um, like what specifically do you think would be good to sort of slow the spread of climate change as well as keep the markets thriving? So uh, I wanna address the first premise first. Um, sorry, I wanna address your the, the, the first premise of your statement that, that markets thriving is inherently a good thing um, because I think that there is a debate uh, and I don't think this is a valid thing. Um, I think there is a debate about whether markets themselves are inherently bad. Um, I think you can look at, for example, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as, as a specific example of somebody saying that, you know, capitalism and, 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 and free markets are are the cause of this human suffering and and, and what is going to be eventual um, massive 
global destruction because of climate change. And, and so I, I think that the first the first way for me to answer that question is to sort of respond to that point. So uh, the, the sort of main line of thinking that links climate change to market dynamics is this. Markets and capitalism are more focused on accumulation of capital rather than being in favor of workers and the environment is basically the line of thinking. Uh, the first problem with this claim is that markets are really just mechanisms to find the best way to produce something. A case in point here is uh, vaccines. I mean, obviously relating to the coronavirus pandemic, I think that's a good example to use. The vaccines are created by market participants who want to make money off of their goods. Vaccines are an example of what people would consider a moral good. Vaccines help people survive against potentially deadly diseases and contribute to public health. These examples like extend out to technology products, such as laptops and iPhones, products where we are able to communicate to the entire world, where we have a library of information at our fingertips, where we can listen to music at the press of a button. So as a general principle, is it accurate to say that markets are always going to produce better results? I, I don't think so. Um, now, in regards to, like, do markets always produce good results? That's, a, that's another question. So I, I, I think that the sort of reason why, fundamentally, just to distill this to one sentence, why, um, why green energy isn't really supported in the marketplace as of now, right? In terms of an increasing market share and people moving away from oil and buying buying like lots of green energy stuff is because um, oil and gas are are incredibly cheap and they're in abundance too. Um, so you've got a lot of people and a lot of companies as well that will, I mean, just just logically will will use the source that is cheapest for them so as long as they like so the reason why they're using these sources is because they're inexpensive so a, a natural solution to this would be okay well make oil and gas more expensive now uh the reason why that kind of thing makes sense is because oil and gas if we're going to go along with the concept of climate change, we'll do all these bad things. Oil and gas have a external cost on the society that isn't really counted in their pricing in some sense. That all of this destruction and all of the, the potential public health damage that could come about due to climate change is not priced in to the cost of oil and gas. And if it were priced into the cost of oil and gas, then uh, I think you would see a transition to more green energy without um, a like destruction of the economy. And I'll, I'll get into more of how that would work exactly later on. Okay, so that makes sense. So how are we supposed to incentivize this reduction of carbon emission, right? So. You're saying talk. You're talking about pricing the potential sort of problems to public health within this. Um, how do you specifically propose that we do that, and how do you suggest we sort of approach this problem? 
again, I've uh, I've always called for a carbon tax. I think that it is the best way to do this. Uh, I I don't have uh, any particular I don't have any particular numbers, but I would say that I think um, that the best way to deal with this kind of thing is to have governments estimate this cost, or or perhaps governments taking a panel of economists you know actually know how to price this stuff and say and tell them well okay price this stuff how, how much damage is going to be caused by i don't know a ton of carbon and place a price on that now now a carbon tax would essentially work um as a as a tax on on businesses and consumers in the sense that like if if a oil company is going to cause X amount of damage because of their production of oil, then they're going to have to pay that amount of damage to the government. Now, how this works, now what this would do is essentially it would force oil companies to increase their prices in order to, you know, offset the tax. And by increasing their prices, they sort of defeat the purpose of why um, companies and individuals buy them, buy their products in the first place, because the inexpensiveness is gone. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, let me see. So, yeah, I like the idea of this carbon tax and this government estimation of sort of which way it's going to go. I think that would really be helpful as far as that. Um, do you, is there any way you think you see this sort of happening in the future as far as with stocks and things like that? Is there going to be any pushback, would you say, from the public in response to these climate change problems and how specific companies react to it? All right. So, like, in terms of the public res response, um, I want to, like, take a trip down memory lane here and go back to... 2008, and, and John McCain was actually calling for this kind of policy, so it's not evident in the Republican Party anymore because it, because it is, um, you know, just a, a, they don't like taxing anybody, so it, it's not something that is, like, you Outside of Mitt Romney, probably, you're not going to see much from the Republicans in terms of anything like this. Uh, now, moving to the, the Democrats, uh, I, I would argue, and again, this is my personal opinion, whatever they're trying to do here is not, is not in favor of markets and more so like establishing what they call as climate justice, quote unquote, which is basically code word for we're just going to use this as an excuse to take money from rich people and redistribute it right so i don't like i don't think that there are many reasonable people on either side that are dealing with this in any like in this kind of a way right and i admit it's kind of arrogant for me to like approach it like this like hey this idea is better than most of the politicians, but the idea of a carbon tax was pretty mainstream in 2008. Um, and I think both the left and the right 
it just has completely, you know, gone out of focus because the left has wanted to, you know, just take rich people's money and the right has wanted to continue to take in oil's money. So, like, again, it's, it's more, my, my thing is it's more of a government cynicism deal of why this hasn't progressed, but, you know, that's just my opinion that others can have different views. Now, in terms of public pushback to this specific policy, um, obviously you've got people that work in oil and gas industries that will push back um, on this. But, but I, I think another concern about carbon taxes is that, you know, if, if I'm going to say to um, Apple that instead of buying this $10 um, oil, you know, jug for, for producing your iPhones and stuff, I, I don't know how iPhones are produced, just, just use that as, as an example. And we're going to tax it, and, inset, and instead it's going to cost 20 bucks now. Um, if we're going to tell them, like, what you were producing at 10 bucks for energy is now going to be 15 bucks for energy, that cost is going to, you know, go back to the consumer. Because, like, like even if you increase the, even if you place a carbon tax on, on oil companies and, and you know, businesses move from oil and gas to solar. Solar is still more expensive than oil is today or, you know, pre-carbon tax. So um, it would be more expensive for companies to use solar, right, um, and any other kind of renewable. And as a result, those costs would probably be passed down to consumers in the form of higher prices. So. I, I mean, there's a specific way I'd like to structure it so that this doesn't happen. But if it is structured in such a way that, you know, costs are pushed down to consumers, I could definitely see, and understandably so, see why there would be pushback um, to it from consumers in the, in, in the U.S., Right, so consumers wouldn't want to absorb the costs of this tax. So what you mentioned a little bit of how you think there are specific ways you can prevent that or sort of um, keep that off for a bit. How specifically would you structure it so that consumers aren't immediately absorbing the cost of these taxes? Again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I haven't done like any economic modeling, so I don't have numbers for you, but I think the best general structure for this would be to say, um, you know, that that ten dollar tax that's on a barrel of oil, instead of being like instead of the government, you know, just taking it, if they could rebate it out to consumers in some sort of fund, right? So like for example, if if um and if if somebody buys electricity from a company that uses that is powered by coal or whatnot, and they and they buy electricity from this coal company, instead of using a 
carbon tax as a way to just increase prices for consumers, um, the the government would rebate this money. So, like, like if if there's a carbon tax of ten bucks on on your daily, uh, sorry, on your weekly um, electricity bills, then that ten bucks is sort of given back to um, individuals as long as they invest in, like, or as long as they buy from, you know, clean energy source companies. Or, and th this is another way to structure it, you, you actually give it as sort of price subsid subsidization measures to, like, you know, clean energy companies. So, like, if, if you've got an oil company at 10 bucks and a solar energy company at 20 bucks, that, that 10 bucks um, would go to the solar company so that they would be able to reduce their prices and make themselves more competitive for the um, for the average consumer. And so basically what you would get is that in a rebate system, you would have no increases in prices, uh, but you would get better outcomes. Right, so the free markets would sort of prevent this crazy economic disaster happening from us trying to fix climate change. So, yeah, I think that's a really good explanation and sort of resolution to this problem. I don't have any other specific questions. So, is there anything else to add? Yeah, I, I would, I want to like, so I want to expand on the rebate stuff a little bit because it may be confusing. So there's sort of two schools of thoughts, two schools of thought as to what to do with the money derived from the carbon tax. One is just put it towards more research, and two is a rebate. Now, like, I, I think that um, rebates are more effectual because it leads to people being able to afford their energy bills now. Um, but uh, I think the research idea is a is a valid concept. But I I think that the Increased research in renewable energy would come about from like inducing um, market demand in the sense that like if a bunch of people are now incentivized to buy solar energy, you're probably going to bet that there are some investors out there that will say, you know what, I'm willing to put some money on the line for research uh, into how to make something more efficient, how to make something cheaper how to create some new kind of good because there are more people willing to buy solar energy um, or any type of renewable because a carbon tax plus a individual rebate has made it cheaper for people to buy that stuff. Uh, so I think that the, the fears of there won't be research, there won't be incentives for research in renewable energy because you're just giving any carbon tax money back to consumers. I think that's a little misguided. And if people took like the macro view about that, I wouldn't be, uh, I think they would think about it a little differently. Um, so that's where I'm at with that. I, uh, it's, it's really interesting because, um, 
I I don't get how I I, I think that there's there, there's this concern about like what are we going to do with oil like are we going to move so fast to solar sources and I don't know if that's viable I mean I've I'm a big proponent of nuclear because you know it was at I believe like 10 years ago 20 percent of our electricity so it's a proven source of renewable non-emission um you know non-emission producing energy that was a large chunk of our electricity in uh just a decade ago so i i would say that like looking at a place like looking at examples from france and germany Maybe we shouldn't like focus on solar and, and wind as much uh, and look at maybe increasing our share of nuclear energy and, and sort of this path we're creating towards a renewable future, I guess. That sounds, that, that's like the worst statement ever, but the path towards our future of, renew, of renewables is like just this cliche politician thing, but... Uh, I, I think that's where I'm at now. Uh, Riley, if you question, answer. It's okay. It's not. Let's more nuclear energy, which sounds like a good plan and a good way to make sure our economy doesn't start faltering because we're getting rid of one sector completely. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much all I have to say, unless you want to clarify something or anything else. Yeah, no, and, and the other thing, and you make a good point about you don't want to destroy oil companies because, you know, they make a lot of money, and that money is useful. Um, and so I think part of the reason why a carbon tax is good is because it, like, it, if an oil company is now forced to sell a $10 barrel of oil at something like, you know, uh, 30 or 40 bucks a barrel they're gonna say well why are we selling this if no one's buying our stuff now oil companies as of now have tons of money um as has been to the chagrin of many people on the left uh, but if you provide an incentive via a carbon tax for people to start buying renewable stuff then the oil company will say you know what the only way we can continue to make money is to do this renewable stuff. So what they'll decide to do inevitably is say, and you've seen examples of this with uh, ExxonMobil. Now, now, to be fair, the, the ExxonMobil green energy experiment has failed so spectacularly, but, but, the, but it, it's more of a, of a point of, you know, if oil companies start failing because of a carbon tax, they're going to invest a bunch of money in producing green energy stuff. So, like, just taking away money from oil companies and, you know, I don't know, using, forcing companies, sorry, forcing the economy to just take a hard left turn towards, um, towards solar and other renewables without without considering this is i think misguided right 
yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, I have nothing else. All right, well, uh, I think that went well. Uh, it was a lot shorter than I expected, but probably because it went uh, efficiently. Um, I, uh, let's see, I, I don't really have anything else to add. I mean, I could talk about the Green New Deal, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if anyone takes that seriously, really, um, at all, like anyone. I, I, I don't even know if the people that wrote it took it seriously. Um, but, uh, I, I, I guess I will add one more thing and that is, uh, cap and trade. I think one of the one of the concerns for a lot of businesses is like transitioning from oil to like solar is is difficult is a lot easier for larger businesses to go about compared to like smaller businesses. So cap and trade is sort of a plan to hedge that risk in that it, it provides government licenses to companies um, for like Let's say if if the government provides Apple a license of like being able to produce ten thousand emissions I, again, just take these numbers at face value. I'm I'm not I'm not trying to I'm I'm just trying to show an example, not not be all scientifically accurate with these numbers. Uh, ten thousand. Um, I don't know what tons of carbon. That's a bunch. 10,000 tons of carbon over five years. Um, and so that, that would be their limit. So basically, the, the, they're allowed to, over the next five years, produce a total of 10,000 carbon emissions or 2,000 every year for five years. And then after that, they have to transition away from that immediately. So it's basically a five-year leeway for companies to move from, you know, producing emissions to completely clean. Now, uh, again, so like if, if you take a company like Apple, Apple can probably do it easier because, you know, they have some of the smartest minds in the world, science-wise, and, and they're a big company and they have trillions of dollars and, and they have the ability to, you know, maneuver those deadlines and be efficient. Now, the, the sort of problem is that for smaller companies, you've got, uh, for smaller companies, they, they can't do this, right? Because they don't have the intellectual resources or the money. So uh, that goes to the trade portion of this idea. And basically, the, the trade part is that, like, if Apple is able to go completely emission-free before the, like, five-year period, so let's say, they produce 2,000 emissions for three years, so they produce 6,000 emissions. They, can, they have like 4,000 emissions as a balance, which they can then sell off to a smaller company that needs more leeway and that maybe instead of five years needs like seven years to wean off uh, non-renewable sources. So it's sort of like it puts a cap on how many emissions can be produced but it, it, it's sort of designed to help small companies. And now sort of the incentive for Apple to do this is that because they can sell off their emissions and make a profit, the faster they become efficient, uh, the more emissions and therefore the, the more money 
via like license sale, they can make. So uh, it creates incentives for efficiency, but it also is geared to help smaller businesses compared to like larger businesses and a transition towards um, and a transition towards renewable energy, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I like the way that you approach that. So I have nothing else. Okay, there we go. Uh, thanks, uh, Riley. Uh, your questioning made this go pretty smoothly, actually. So uh, I'm going to have to figure out a way to pay you if and when I actually make money from this. So thank you for this. And uh, I will, uh, and then, and we will be with the audience next time whenever I come up with this subject to talk about. So again, thanks to everybody who will be listening to this. Thank you to Riley, especially. Uh, yep. Yeah.